Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lucky Episode Number Thirteen in the history of True Crime on Easy Street. Did I get that right? Is it thirteenth? I have no idea. I really don't think it is. Is it not? <laughs> Never mind. Go back and look for yourself on the list on whatever wait a minute, your favorite wait a minute, platform wait a is. Okay, hold on. I'll check. I'll All check right. really quickly. We Kelly's going to check while I complete uh-huh. the introduction. Yep. We are I'm back sorry. for another episode of True Crime on Easy Street, uh, sponsored by Easy Street Restaurant, Performance Hall, and Bar. I still got it wrong. Damn it. Close Every enough. freaking time I get it wrong. And it's Kelly who put that seed in my head like a month ago, and I've never been able to say it right again since she screwed it up, and now I screw it up. Should we just start this whole thing over? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 10 yeah. was Remedy. Okay. 11 is Mentone. All right. 12 is The Reverend. I fought the law. 13. Is 13. And then 14. 14's going to be what we... So this is 15. This is 15. Is there like like a color for that anniversary? uh, I would be the wrong person to ask about that. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I've passed that. But I don't know. In my marriage, but I, I... when so you're the person to ask. I, no. Because I'm never married, and Katie's only been married for there's a, s- five years. It's coming up on five. Yeah. Okay, there's, I don't know, there's like a silver, silver. That sounds like 25. Marriage. And there's a, there's a gold. There's cardboard. I'm they making, have one for everything, right? I'm definitely making stuff up. I, I have no idea of the colors. I don't know, but this is episode 15, Scott. All right. Well, 15 it is, and this happens, and I don't know it's anything. It's the crystal was, anniversary. Is that it? Is that 15? Crystal. Well, I it's will the crystal episode. my gift next week from the two of you. Why don't we just all buy the same thing and swap gifts with each other, and that way it'll be <laughs> Let's don't say we did and call it even. Yeah. Fair enough. So I don't know anything about this. I was telling uh, Kelly before we turned on the mics, I'm, if I sound surprised tonight, oh, and by the way, my name is Scott Wright, and I am a mediocre journalist. I'm Kelly Turner, not a doctor. Katie Givens, not a lawyer. So this all takes place in 1991, and Kelly told me that yesterday so that I could do a little research about uh, the little timeline thing that I always like to do at the beginning of the show. But I'm generally going to be surprised at whatever you say for the next 45 minutes because I know nothing about it. I did no homework at all. I am completely unprepared. It's kind of like what I do in my normal job, thus the mediocre journalist moniker. So don't sound too surprised (laughs) when I don't know what you're talking about. So a few things that happened in 1991. On January the 17th of 1991, Operation Desert Storm began when the U.S. launched airstrikes against Saddam Hussein and the nation of Iraq. And coincidentally, that was the very first night that I was in Orlando, Florida, as a member of the college program. I had taken a semester off from school to go down to Disney World and work as a skipper on the Jungle Cruise. And that night, I sat in a room with 100 other people, all strangers to me that night, because we'd all just gotten there. And we watched CNN, and the bombs explode in the air, and the the anti-aircraft missiles that were launched in Baghdad. So I will never forget January the 17th, 1991. Uh, On March the 13th of that year, the U.S. Department of Justice announced that Exxon had agreed to pay $1 billion to clean up the Exxon Valdez spill in Alaska, which had happened Mm -hmm. almost exactly two years previous to that. Um, On April the 14th in the Netherlands, I was trying to find some crime-related things that happened in 1991, and it turned out there were plenty of them. So in April uh, of 91 in the Netherlands, thieves broke into the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam and stole 20 paintings. This is not the thing that we did a few weeks ago on our own show. Mm -hmm. This is in Amsterdam. 20 paintings worth $500 million. They found them an hour later in an abandoned car. Why why are they in the car? I don't know. They they should have let the mob do it because in Boston, they still don't know where those $500 million are Allegedly, Scott. Allegedly, Allegedly. sorry. My bad. Uh, On May the 16th, Queen Elizabeth II, for the very first time, a British monarch addressed the U.S. Congress during her 13-day visit to Washington, D.C. On June the 17th, former U.S. President Zachary Taylor was exhumed to discover whether his death was caused by arsenic poisoning instead of the original diagnosis, which was an acute gastrointestinal illness. No trace of arsenic was found, but I'm sticking with the crime thing. Uh, The next month, they arrested Jeffrey Dahmer after the remains of 11 men and boys were found in his Milwaukee apartment. Uh, Clarence Thomas was confirmed to the United States Supreme Court in October. Uh, And in November of 1991, American and British authorities announced indictments against two Libyan intelligence officials 
in connection with the downing of Pan Am Flight 103, which had taken place in December of 1998. And the last thing I'll mention before I get to the music, which you guys are going to like, on November the 24th, on the same day, Freddie Mercury died in London, and the drummer for Kiss, Eric Carr, died of heart cancer, both on the same day in November of 1991. And uh, some of the songs that were at the top of the charts in 91, Black or White by Michael Jackson, uh, Losing My Religion by R.E.M., O.P.P. by Naughty by Nature. We all remember that one, I believe. And Mark Cohn's version of Walking in Memphis was a big hit that year. So that's what was going on in 1991, and I am done. I know nothing else about anything you guys are going to talk about. I'm going to turn <laughs> off my mic and lean back and and watch in awe as this happens. Well, thank you for all that. Um, so this story today, this, this case, is quite terrifying. In the early hours of the morning of September the 11th, 1991, Earl and Carrie Lawson received a phone call. The caller was a woman who identified herself as a nurse at Walker Regional Medical Center and stated that Earl's father was very ill and they needed to come immediately to the hospital. Earl's father had recently suffered medical issues, so they were very quick to respond to this call. So Carrie and Earl Lawson, they quickly got ready. They hurried to get into their Ford Explorer, and then a masked gunman appeared, ordered them out of the car. Earl was forced to the ground, and Carrie was instructed to tie him up. He had duct tape. They said, you know, take the duct tape, bind him. Right. He's forced to the ground. And then the gunman and Carrie drove away in the Ford Explorer. Earl frees himself, but his keys to their home were in the Explorer because they were, you know, Attached as a key ring. Yeah. Exactly. Right. He kicks in the back door of his home and he calls 911. And then he has to call her parents. The FBI is going to set up a command post inside Lawson's home pretty quickly as the events continue to unfold. Carrie's parents are going to move, basically move, into a Jasper motel because this this is where they are. They're in Jasper, Alabama. Her older sister, Margaret, is going to stay in a guest room at the Lawson home with Earl. So you have... The sister, Earl, and the FBI pretty much camped out at the home. And you have the parents who've moved into a motel. So who are these people? Earl and Carrie Lawson. Well, Earl Lawson was born and raised in Jasper, Alabama. He was employed by a local firm after finishing law school at the University of Alabama. And his wife, Carrie, is the daughter of a Tennessee millionaire. At the time of her abduction, she was 25 years old. She had just graduated the University of Alabama's law school. She had taken the bar exam, but was abducted before she knew if she passed the exam or not. So she's not practicing just yet. She's, she's trying to finish her education and trying to take the exam. The couple had been married for 18 months at the time of the abduction. When Earl was interviewed by reporters and many, many other people, he stated that he just kept telling himself, this will all be over soon. She'll be all right. So the kidnapper makes contact with the Lawson family and demands $300,000 ransom for Carrie's safe return. This led to a series of calls from the kidnapper. Go to the payphone at this location. They would go. Payphone would ring. Okay, now go to the payphone at this location. You know, kind of just mm-hmm. on and on and on. All of these locations were coming on different payphones at the different sites. And finally, the kidnapper demands that Earl's father, Earl Lawson Sr., make the ransom delivery in Coleman. When Earl Sr. brings the money, coincidentally, there are several police cars at the location. They are there on a totally unrelated call. Oh, wow. Total coincidence. Okay. But when the kidnapper sees this, 
He calls it off. He assumes the worst. Calls off the drop. Done. So the family's going to now demand to hear from Carrie. We want to know that she's all right. You know, you're wanting this ransom money. We need to hear from her. So Earl Jr., who is her husband, is going to briefly speak to her on September the 12th. She's abducted on the 11th. Mm-hmm. All of this wild goose chase takes place, you Very know, between quickly. the 11th and 12th. Yes. Okay. And then on the 12th, he's going to hear from her. He's going to briefly speak to her. The FBI is recording the call, but the recorder was turned off. Wow. So... Thank God they called the feds. They never got to listen. Her family never got to hear. You know, Earl spoke to her. Only Earl heard her voice. Correct. Her family never got to hear her voice while she was abducted. The kidnapper arranged another meeting site on the outskirts of Jasper for September the 13th. So here we are. We're two days after the abduction. He called a payphone at the site and told Lawson, do you see the house across the street from you? I am watching you, and I have a rifle pointed at your head. Leave the money by the payphone and leave. The police had outfitted Earl with a beeper, that, like a directional beeper. They could track him. Remember, this is 1991, so it's not cell phones and... And he's um, following the instructions of the kidnapper, so he's on his own. There, he's not being followed by the FBI. Correct. Okay. They also hide another directional beeper in the ransom money. So there's two directional beepers mm-hmm. there that they put, and they have um, some authorities in the air. They're going to fly around. They're going to follow the beeper. So once Earl leaves the money by the payphone and leaves. The authorities in the air mistakenly follow Earl no, and not the money because the beepers are on the same frequency. Oh, geez. Yeah. When he gets home, he's thinking, okay, I've done my part. We're going to get Carrie back. All is going to be well. Nothing. No leads there. Nothing. He's still waiting to this day. Carrie has never been found. 30 years later. Yes. The police are going to release the recordings of the kidnapper's voice. They're going to put that out to the public. And can anybody recognize the voice? I don't know in my research. I'm not exactly sure specifically who was able to identify it. But they were tentatively um, able to say, okay, this voice is identified as Jerry Bland, a 49-year-old former strip mine operator who had fallen on hard times and was desperate for money. So they somehow get this information by releasing the voice of the kidnapper from the payphone calls or the Ransom calls, I should say. I don't know if it, if it was exactly from the payphone or if it was probably from the, the home of the Lawsons, I would assume. Yeah. Jerry Bland, they start looking at his accomplices, his associates, and they quickly identify Karen Lancaster McPherson as an accomplice. She is Bland's cousin by marriage, but they are very close as well. They're, they're very good friends. She was also a wife, mother, and a truck driver from Walker County, which is the same area. Mm-hmm. When they searched her home, they found thousands of dollars, and um, you know they're wanting to talk to her about this. So they're going to start questioning her, and she's going to quickly confess to Bland being the kidnapper. She's going to say that she was the, quote, nurse that had made the original phone call to the Lawsons. She also confessed to dropping Bland off at the Lawson home on the night of the kidnapping. She watched over Carrie after the kidnapping, according to her, and she claimed to see Carrie two days after the kidnapping and she was alive. As the investigation continued, cassette tapes were found containing Jerry Bland plotting the kidnapping. These Brilliant. Were found, he recorded his 
plan. <laughs> His recorder works. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> maybe um, he can loan it to the feds the next time this maybe. happens. Um, but the 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 tapes were found in an apartment building. By a young boy, he then gave it to his father. It was it was a roundabout. This person found it, gave it to this person of of how the um these cassette tapes were found. Uh, the recording of him pretty much plotting the kidnapping. The FBI searched his home and they found some of the ransom money based on the serial numbers. Because you know when you if you kidnap someone and you ask for ransom money, guess what? They know the serial numbers on that money. So yeah. when you go to try to spend it. They're going to know. So just just a heads up out there. (laughs) There goes that plot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the they find the ransom money. They're going to then watch his home. They don't arrest him. And and there's a lot of speculation as to why did they not arrest him immediately. And the FBI is going to go back and forth and they're going to say, well, because she technically was not taken across state lines, they were waiting on state orders and state. And we've dealt with that before on this show, where if it doesn't cross state lines, the same thing with the Albert Patterson murder. When John Patterson's suspicion was that you know the local authorities were involved, the FBI said, "Sorry, we can't help you. It's a state matter." Exactly, and they're they're helping this because they're helping in this case because it's a it's a kidnapping. Yeah, but. They don't have any evidence that she's been taken across state lines, so they're trying to follow it by the book. They don't want to mess anything up, and I think I'm 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 cutting them a little bit of slack here because they want to do everything just right. And they did they do claim to have had a search warrant, like a local mm-hmm. warrant, to search the home to begin with to find the ransom money. Um, but then they're going to watch the home. They're they're still trying to find Carrie. The goal is to get to Carrie. Right. And so they're watching his home. And while they're watching his home, he has a wife and daughters and they're ducking, you know, the they know they're being watched. So they're they're ducking under the windows. They're the family sleeps on a mattress in the living room. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of acting sh- suspicious and strange. And then on the morning, um, Tuesday, October the 1st at 4.30 a.m., they're going to hear a single gunshot. Now, before this, briefly, they did, there was not a documented time. The, the wife and the two daughters leave okay. the home. And they're going to continue to watch the home. They're not going to follow them. But they hear this single gunshot at 4.30 a.m. on Tuesday, October the 1. October the 1. October the 1. <laughs> October the 1. That's a new thing. Um, <laughs> but they waited until daylight before they entered the home. What? Um, and I, I think wait, that that... Wait, what? Well, I think that has to do with... Incompetence? Police, well, police protocol. You, do you remember back to when we had Stacy Smith on the show? I do. She's a, a former lieutenant with the Marine Police. Yeah. And we briefly kind of touched how things have changed, how mm-hmm. you... You I don't remember her saying that. Just bust in. You don't. Well, you know. so are you saying they had to get like a search warrant in order to um, enter the property? I don't or? know if they just handled that differently. And and, and this may also go back to Columbine. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember Columbine changed how police protocol. Yeah, that's what, that's what Stacey mentioned. And, all. and that yeah. was in 99. Yes. And, this and so this is 91. Right. So I'm thinking that this is, that might have been standard procedure if there's shooting to. Wait, I, I can't, I have no idea. I'm just, yeah. I'm really grasping at, at why they, they might have waited. But they waited until daylight. According to this article um, from AL.com, mm-hmm. this, this is where I'm getting okay. um, a lot of this research, um, a lot of this information. But according to AL.com, they waited till daylight before they entered the home and they found Bland dead by a self-inflicted gunshot. He left a suicide note, but they've never released the full contents of it. What they did say was that the note told them where to find the remainder of the ransom money. And that was in the attic. And they found about $250,000 of the ransom money. They say that the note did not have clues to Carrie's location. There's been stories back and forth. And, you know, they're talking to, remember the lady I said they identified as an associate, Karen McPherson. Um, she had said that, you know, Carrie had, off into the woods 
Um, she, you know, had escaped and, and run off. Or one time, I think the story was she had, Bland took her somewhere she didn't know. Um, there, so many different stories. Whatever she had to say at the time, she had the spotlight on her to try and get herself out of whatever predicament she was in legally. It kind of seems that way because when you when you look at the different references and the different articles and, and when you're researching this case, you, you get a little bit of that in each of the articles that you read in each of the, the stories that you can find. And mm-hmm. so with, with Karen, they are going to arrest her for first degree kidnapping sure. because she has she has confessed she admitted to, this. to that part at least yes she's going to plead guilty in november of 1991 she had an arrangement with with carrie's family carrie's family or the smith family and we'll talk about them um in great detail so before you ask any questions scott okay i'm, I'm going to dive into the smith family but she had an arrangement with the Smith family uh, to meet with Carrie's father and tell him everything that she knew, and they agreed that they would not oppose parole for 10 years. After 10 years. Uh-huh, after the 10 years. Understood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Karen backs out of this and recants her story. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Um. The FBI has been highly criticized for the way that they handled this case. Uh, in a book written by Ron Kessler, the, it's called The FBI, Inside the World's Most Powerful Law Enforcement Agency. He calls this the FBI's biggest failures, one of their biggest failures. The FBI actually responded and defended their actions during this investigation, and they claim that they were waiting on state charges due to the fact that Carrie was not taken across state lines. No, it's just... If she had have been, it would have been a federal crime. Yeah. So they actually respond to this. Now, Carrie's family believes that more were involved in her abduction, and they believe that this suicide was very, very suspicious. They believe that that possibly another accomplice could have killed Bland Mm -hmm. while the police were were watching. I don't know what you guys think about that. I mean, the, the money was there in his home. Seems to me that Karen take the money. Yeah, it seems to me that Karen had the rest of the money. Um, unless the accomplice was thinking this is just busted and I'm going to leave all this and leave. Because I can't spend that money. They're going can't to spend the money. Um, Sounds like a cover your ass situation. I don't for know. Me. I feel possibly. like there's always a way to move money. I don't know. Possibly. So I think, you know, that part leaves your head scratching. But the Smith family's convinced that that was very suspicious and that there's possibly another accomplice. Mm-hmm. Earl Lawson told AL.com, this is his quote, to a T, those guys, speaking of the FBI, gave 200% every day, every minute. They cried with us. If mistakes were made, it wasn't because of a lack of effort. They cared and tried their very hardest. It was personal to them, end quote. Now, I, I do like this statement. I'm glad that Earl feels like that they were in it 200%. Mm-hmm. I think the question that you have to ask is when you're dealing with the authorities, that's a big deal that they, that they care. Yes. But I guess they can care all day long, but if there they, were some pretty serious mistakes made in this case. It sounds like it. I mean, with the frequency and the following the wrong <clears throat> tracking device and, uh, and, and waiting for the local DA. And I'm curious, do we know why the local DA didn't jump in with some kidnapping charges? I mean, if the FBI is kind of prodding the local uh, Walker County, you said, right? Maybe they're, hey guys, we're waiting on you to file some charges here. Well, what are and you I, doing? I, I'm sure that you can find information in another yeah. article about the local authorities. I was just mostly trying to just focus on the case itself. I understand. And the FBI, um, because they did play a big role. Because you think, oh, we're going to call the FBI in. These are the, these are the folks that are going to come in and they're going to save the day. And I guess my question is, are we holding them to too high of a standard? I mean, are they allowed to make some mistakes? I guess so. But I guess everyone's allowed to make mistakes, but they've put themselves on that pedestal too. Exactly. Like that, that was another reason why I wanted to kind of bring this up because it was right. like, these seem like, and again, 
this team of experts here, but I, I'm, I'm just saying these seems like pretty boneheaded mistakes. And to keep happening in the same case, like not just one mistake, but... Yeah. I mean, miscommunication, which you can understand how all of these mistakes, all the coincidences, cops being there at the first drop, um, the, the beepers, the recorder not working, mm-hmm. not being turned on, malfunctioning, whatever you want to call it. Um, the article said it was not turned on. You can see how they're going to come under fire and then Earl's going to look suspicious. When he defends them? Yes. And so Earl still has to deal with to this day that um, he's a suspect. People in the public eye see Earl as a suspect. Now, I can't see anything in any of the articles that I've read about Earl... I can't find a, a a motivation. I can't, you know, right, people say, yeah. well, he was married to her, isn't that? But no, it wasn't like there was a big insurance policy like we mm-hmm. talked about with the Reverend. Yeah, you know, with and his Maxwell. style. Right. 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 Um, and since then, Earl has moved from Jasper, remarried, and he has children, and he's it just, it was a while before he moved on. It was not quickly. It wasn't like, has she been like declared dead? Did he have to? Have she was declared dead? dead two years after this. Oh. Um, so just a little bit about her family, the Smith family. I cannot imagine what this family is going through. Um, the, after this fell through with Karen, and she recanted her story, and her lawyer said everything she said was was a lie. She wasn't being truthful about anything. Um. They started seeking other avenues of trying to figure out what happened to Carrie. So the the minute she goes missing, these huge search parties start in Walker County and in the surrounding counties. Like where they're walking through fields looking they're for evidence. They're looking for her. They're looking for evidence. They're looking for her. And this is going to go on and on for about six weeks. And it's going to kind of taper off as the FBI stops their search and sort of leaves. Yeah, I think that's See, that's normal. the thing. They come in and they do all of this and then they're just gone. And that, in this article, that's what Earl's talking about. He, he truly felt alone at that point when they're gone, mm-hmm. you know, because the house is just filled with people looking for Carrie. And then all of a sudden, all that's gone. And he's sitting in the dark by himself, waiting on a friend to come pick him up. He's just devastated at this point. And the whole time he keeps going back to, I keep thinking that I just have to do this, and then we're going to get her back. There's also been several questions as to why were they targeted. And there's not a clear answer on that one as well. Um, did I they did know say, they had money? Like, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, so Bland wasn't like a, a former employee of her rich no, father or anything? No, he was, um, he was just a former strip mine operator. He had fallen on hard times, was desperate for money. I'm not sure if they chose that because Lawson is a lawyer or if they even knew. If maybe they just looked at the home and said, mm-hmm. we're just going to do this. So there's no connection there's never, that, that you found that they were even aware of the fact that her parents, you mentioned that earlier, that her parents are, were wealthy. Yeah. But maybe they didn't even know that. The Blands. No idea. Bland no gang. idea. And this Karen has not said a whole lot about that. She kind of dummies up, it would seem to me, mm-hmm. when it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Um. Karen herself is from a very, very blue-collar family in Walker County. So we're, not, we're talking about two individuals who are not very well-off um, on hard times. And it seems like they just come up with this, this idea to kidnap someone for ransom. And it, it seems to me that it went horribly wrong. Like they watched one movie about how to kidnap someone and, and took a page of notes and didn't know what to do when they went off script. I mean, it just, yes. And, and so, anyway, so the family, the Smith family, 
they're not, they didn't stop searching for her. Once mm-hmm. the search parties were over with and the FBI left town and everything, you know, the family's still going to search for her. Even after she was declared dead two years later, they are offering $100,000 in reward money. They've hired a private investigator. They hired a construction crew to pump out a pool near a closed surface mine in Tuscaloosa County because there was a rumor that there was a body there. They searched Lake Tuscaloosa after an anonymous tip. A prison inmate claimed to have firsthand knowledge. The family asked the FBI in 2000 to reopen the case, but they refused. Mm-hmm. They felt like all the avenues had been exhausted. There was no new evidence. I, I think it takes something to reopen a case. Like, I don't think you just... Something significant. And, yeah, I don't think mm-hmm. they could just pick and choose. Um, they, they have consulted psychics. Uh, there's been more prison inmates. Nothing. <laughs> I think the most sickening thing about a story like this to me, I mean, it was sickening enough to know that this family has gone through this and that Carrie had to go through this. And, and, and this is, you know, there's no, there's no closure. There's no answer. But then you have, to add on top of that, you have inmates trying to get less time claiming to know something about it. Mm -hmm. And then you have anonymous tips about bodies in a lake, hearsay, you know. Do you know that it's also a phenomenon that people will even call and they'll prank call and pretend to have their loved one? Um, This has happened in numerous cases where they they will prank call someone and pretend that they have their loved one still alive and want more money out of the family. That is a, that's a well. There's a criminal another, element out there that that's another level to me. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, just sick. You used the right word. Ugh. It physically makes my stomach turn. So this family's still struggling with this now. Carrie's mother, Harriet Smith, died in 2009, and as far as I can can tell, I couldn't find any evidence if her father has passed away or not. But but if he hasn't, he is still searching. And the sister said he's always been the best father to both of them. He is a devoted father and he will always search. And any tip that he gets, any lead, he he follows it and he searches it. And when this article came out, I want to say the father was 82 years old. This was a few years ago. This, this article is a bit dated. I think it was from 2016. Okay, five um, years ago. Yeah. So if he's still alive, He's still enabled. He's following tips and leads. And the older sister, Margaret, is, you know, just in awe of him. And, but, but it tore their family apart. I mean, it just, she believes, Margaret, the sister, believes that it hurried along. Her, mo- her mother had uh, early stages of Alzheimer's, and she believes that this just exacerbated the situation. Seems plausible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That her mother just kept getting sicker and sicker and then finally passed away in 2009. Um, and Earl since then has moved from Jasper because he couldn't live there anymore. Um, and there were several people in the community who believed he was responsible. You don't ever have to look very far to find a conspiracy nut, no matter where you live. Oh, yeah. In right. any situation. Right. Um, so, like I said, he's remarried and has children and continues to be a suspect in the public eye for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in, in everything that I have looked at, and, and again, I am <laughs> far from an expert on anything. I just don't, I don't think Earl was involved. It I, seems like, I mean, I'm curious, did, did they search Mr. Brand's house, did they find any evidence that she had ever been there? I mean, we found the money in the attic, I get. That's all that I get from from the articles was they did find money there. If they had found any kind of evidence that Carrie had been in that home, there would have been an arrest immediately. There would not have been them waiting for him 
watching him, stalking him to see where he's going to go and what he's going to do. And I mean, the fact that he committed suicide makes me believe that he was guilty, that something went terribly wrong that he he couldn't live with. He sends his family away. Yes. He leaves a suicide note. There's a single gunshot. The suicide note describes exactly where the rest of the money is upstairs in the attic. Mm -hmm. Obviously something, not obviously, in my mind, something happened with him and Carrie Lawson. She accidentally fell down a flight of stairs. Maybe he was going to return her, but something went horribly wrong and she ended up dead. And I'm, this is all just speculation. Yes. Yes. But At this point, that's where we for him are to, with for this For him case. to go from, I'm going to take $300,000 and change my life to, I'm going to end my life. Something went horribly wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Because you don't get in that to, decide that you're going to end your life and then let them know where the money is so that your family's not even keeping it. Right. And that to me, I go back to the accomplice. Why didn't the, if the accomplice comes in and kills him, the only motivation would be to rid themselves completely of this. They didn't take the money. They, they left Karen alive. Yeah. That I, I Karen don't, didn't I don't say Karen hasn't said anything about another accomplice. She owns up to the fact, or she did, and then said everything was alive. But at first, she confessed to um, being the nurse that called and said, "Your father's very ill. You've got to come to the hospital now." And driving the kidnapper to the home. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm with you. I don't buy that. I, I I can't figure out a motive for why Earl would be involved. No, they had been married for 18 months. Yeah. He was employed. He was a lawyer. She was, she had just taken the bar exam. Mm-hmm. And he gave up $300,000. I don't know. If it probably wasn't. I mean, they're willing money, to drop yeah. this money off just to get her back. To get her back. But uh, just to be clear, you mentioned earlier, right? It's, it, would, it, would, it was her family that forked over the 300 grand. Her family is offering the $100,000 reward. I'm not sure. Okay. It, it was never really clear to me where the 300,000 okay. right. came yeah. from, but if I mean from the probably family. it was yeah. From either the Smith family or, or from from Eric Lawson himself. Earl Lawson. Earl. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Earl Lawson. Yes. Eric Lawson was a few weeks ago. Actually, that was Eric Rudolph. <laughs> right, right. Um so this is this case was suggested to us by someone via email and when I read when I first read the first article about this I was absolutely terrified mm-hmm. because you're you're in your home you're asleep you're minding your own business you're not even alone you know it's not yeah. the thing of, you're of not, you're horror not movies where you're at home and you know you're you're being called to come outside get into your car so that you can leave you're told they knew enough to say that it was Earl's father that was sick. And I don't know if this that was That seems strictly, like a lead to me. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, right? it doesn't... Um, it could have been a coincidence, but Earl's father recently had had some, some medical issues. So it was very believable to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it would be believable to me if my father had not recently had medical issues, if you're being called by someone who identifies himself as a nurse in the middle of the night, and you got, also got to think, this is 1991. They're calling a landline in their home. They're not calling a cell phone. Right. The caller ID, I mean, if you had caller ID in 91. Was there caller ID I, in 91? Um, maybe. I, I, maybe. It seems like. I know there was call Everybody waiting. didn't. It wasn't common. Yeah. There was call waiting sure. in 91 because I remember I was in college then and I remember having call waiting. You know, you hear the click, click and mm-hmm. you could hit the. And this is a very time specific piece too because now, I mean, you had to call that landline to make sure they were home to know that they're going to walk out of their house. If you call a cell phone, they could be anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things were a lot different. And, you know, DNA technology, I'm guessing was a lot. Or I know it was a lot different back then. Maybe the, the duct tape that, that was used to, to tie up Earl Lawson would have had some evidence on it if it was today instead of 1991. I mean, DNA was in its infancy back then. So mm-hmm. I wonder if that's in a Ziploc bag in, a, in an evidence room in the Walker County Sheriff's Department somewhere. I mean, it could be. And, and I know that they were very quick to, I mean, the FBI didn't just know that this happened. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were called. So I feel like that the local authorities 
were on top of that. On yeah. top of that, I mean, knew what they didn't know. Hey, we can't handle this. We've got to have. We some need help. to call somebody. This is this is a serious. Get the Birmingham issue. FBI office on the phone and let them tell us what to do because we don't deal with this every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a woman in our county who's been abducted. This is a very time sensitive matter. They seem to have responded very quickly to the situation. It's just. Gosh, you just, and I can't imagine how many times her family has thought about this if they had just followed the other beeper. Right. Um, If the cops had not been on that call the first night. I think, though, Bland had already displayed that he was going to give them the runaround. He he had been giving them the runaround. Go to this payphone. Then he calls that payphone. Go to this payphone. Then, you know, so he's kind of, Sending them around anyway, um, but I don't. I don't think. I think he was. There's nothing they could have done to convince him that that first drop. That, that this is sheer coincidence. These cops are here on another call. We didn't bring this right. on ourselves. Yeah, unless he sent them to. And I hate to make a joke here. Unless he sent them to a donut shop. I mean, or, or a restaurant or somewhere where they just all happen to be at lunch, and maybe there was a payphone outside. Uh, I'm sure our, our uh, I'm sure our cop listeners really appreciate it. Well, I didn't mean it in a bad way. Shop. I mean, but it sounds like that would have been, yeah, sorry, a donut shop. I could have made a better example. <laughs> but, you know, if everybody just happened to be at lunch or at dinner and, hmm. you know, Bland picked that payphone. The way that it was, um, the way that they described it in the article was that they were on a call. Okay. They were actively working something. It just happened to be... It wasn't lunch. The payphone was, that he picked was the one right adjacent to where this call it was came a strict, It was coincidence. Right. So, um, so here we are, present day, and no Carrie, and the family still questioning what happened to her. And I wanted to also bring up, this is a time to talk about, in present day, when we look at a case like this, we, we have to look at it and we have to say, I don't want, I'm not trying to point out anything that the victims did wrong or anything, but we have to learn from this and we have to say, how do we continue to protect our citizens from, from this happening? Get it right next yeah, time. How do we do better? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, as just normal everyday people walking around, a little bit of that has changed with our technology. We have cell phones that can be tracked, you know, Left and right. Yeah, I the mean, world's not as anonymous anymore as it used to be. Correct, especially as it was in 1991. But I think um, you look at the case in Auburn where the young girl was abducted um, from the gas station. It's like two or three years ago? Yeah. Right. And, and just people just minding their own business and then find themselves in a terrible situation because there are horrible people in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing the things that, you know, we're all told, don't, no, you know, don't walk down the dark street and not alone. Or this, this girl was just going into a service station. Yeah. Um, so I think it's also good to talk to our families. And I've talked with other, other families who have um, certain safe words or safe phrases that only they know to use. So if you're on a call with someone, say you're, say you're in college and say you're walking home from studying, maybe you went to the library on campus or something and you were studying late. I don't know if they still do that, but maybe you went to a certain place and you were studying and, and it's late at night and you're having to walk to your car, whatever. You find yourself having to walk late at night by mm-hmm. yourself. So you call your loved one, your friends and family on the phone, and you have them on the phone while you're walking. And if something starts looking suspicious to you, you say your phrase that your loved one knows this is an alert without saying, help, there's a creepy person following me or help, there's a right. creepy person looking at me. Mm-hmm. And it's things from, from like, uh, did you feed... Um, did you feed Sam? And maybe they don't have a dog named Sam or a yeah. pet named Sam. And the, the family member immediately knows, okay. And so they, you know, can pull up where their loved one is. They can track them. They can, they can help them. If the call mysteriously drops, they know. Yes. They, yeah. they, we've been call alerted. Police, yeah. So you would call the police. I, I was on the phone with my loved one. They use their panic phrase. Something's not right. You know, just little things like that that can alert people that something's wrong. Otherwise, you walk to your car by yourself without your loved one on the phone and something happens and, and 
we're none the wiser. Yeah. You know. Right. And again, I don't want to make it sound like that I'm I'm saying I'm the young girl who went missing in the in the service station. She was in a service station. She was not alone. She was, you know, like I said, in doing whatever every one of us yeah. do every single day. So I don't see any way that she would have been able to do anything differently. That was just a, a horrible person who, you know. Yeah. And, and a horrible thing for her. Um but there are things that you can do. And and I've you know, if you if your kids are getting to that age where they want to be left home alone and they want to, you know, try oh, yeah. to feel old and big, you know, and you want to call and check on them. Maybe you have some kind of secret phrase or something. Yeah. You know. um, did you buy a fish food? <laughs> you yeah. don't have a fish, yeah. you know, something. Tell grandmother Joan I love her and you don't have a grandmother named Joan. Exactly. Something that they can say or they can respond to that helps them. And I, I'm again. I don't see how Carrie could have done anything here. She was. No. Well, um, she was in a panic when she ran out of that house, like any of us would have been. If we get a phone call in the middle of the night and says, "Hey, your dad's in the hospital. Come quickly," she probably didn't even. She's flying put on out the door. Clothing. They're she's out the, the door. They're getting on their clothes and they're going out that door. Whatever to check passes on for clothes Earl to get to Senior, the hospital because that's who they were saying it was. It was Earl's father. So right. they're they're thinking Earl Senior's in the hospital, and it's nobody very, thinks this may be a trap. Right. Exactly. And uh, just other things that I, I had, uh, someone I used to work with who was from New York said that um, another thing that criminals like to do was pretend to be mugged. Like they needed help. Like they needed help. And then if you are the good Samaritan and you offer your help, then you are the one that was robbed. You know, I saw a TikTok about this not long ago, and it said, and it was like a woman whose dad was an FBI agent, and he had given her advice on how to stay safe. And this was, and then there was a lot of comments to debate this, but one of the main ones were was like, a grown man doesn't really ask for help. Ah. A grown man doesn't ask for directions. A grown man doesn't say, hey, I've lost something. Can you help me look for it? Oh, that's, that's you know. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to be cliche, but no men don't you know, ask for directions. Like in the, in the Sorry, comment, in the, comment, <laughs> in the comments, you know, it was you know all men being like, "Oh, we can't ask for help now." But no, that that is legit. Yeah, I have Google Maps on my phone. Mm-hmm. No one should have to ask for directions anymore. And a man also, I mean, you know, as terrible as it is, a grown man's probably not going to ask a woman for directions either if he really wants directions. <laughs> That's. Uh, <laughs> Is that accurate, Scott? That's, that's, that's a pretty good point. <laughs> Even though, if you, I ask know I'm gonna, I'm not gonna get a sentence when a paragraph would do. <laughs> so probably not. But yeah. yeah. All right. So just little things like that, mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's horrible that you have to you have to think twice before you're a good Samaritan. Yeah, that's, you absolutely that's, do. Well, we were just telling Colin the other day there was a hitchhiker here in town. I don't know if y'all saw him. Nope. You don't see that often. Colin said, that's the first ever hitchhiker I've ever seen. Should we give him a ride? And we were like, no. <laughs> oh no. And that's a terrible way to be mm-hmm. because you're, we're often taught, and especially in the South, we pride ourselves on manners and, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. hospitality yeah. in general. Well, and, you know, throughout the 40s, 50s, and 60s, when not everyone had a car, it wasn't uncommon to read about, or I hear stories from my parents and grandparents about, hitchhiking to Tuscaloosa for an Alabama game. You just, you know, throw a bag over your back and stand on the side of the road on Highway 11 before there was an interstate and somebody would take you to Tuscaloosa and the next day somebody would bring you back. Yeah. That, and, you know, and at some point, uh, probably in the 60s when the world started to change and Vietnam came along and the hippie generation and the Manson generation came along, people stopped doing that and it's been different ever since. Now, if you want a car, get your own fucking car. I'm, you're not riding with me. Scott, the good Samaritan. No, just, Sorry. Just, I, no, but, but you're absolutely right. It's, this, it's time and time again when you see things that, that go horribly wrong, people who were trying to be helpful, trying to be nice, or just minding their own business right. and happen to just be in the wrong place at the wrong time with a terrible person. And that's, I just, I hate that. I feel like that's, Exactly what happened to Carrie and Earl Lawson here, um, just to sleep in their own home. 
Yep. Um, well, we'll keep this on our list of possible cases to update our listeners on, yes, but it's and, not going to be a good update if we give one, I don't imagine. No, and I just, I just want to tell folks out there, if you know anything or you have any information, just get in touch with the Walker County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, that'd be the place to start. For this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll and, put that information in our show notes just in case. Mm-hmm. And help this family out. The Smith family, they've, they have suffered and Earl has Earl Lawson, the Lawson family, they've suffered for a long time. And it would be, um, if just to get them some closure, I mean, they don't even have the remains of their loved one. The not knowing has to be the worst part. I, I, I cannot imagine what this family's going through. So, Or the fear that you already know what happened and you just don't have, I mean, it's the same thing, but yeah. the fear that you know what happened and you just can't get it confirmed. Can't get the closure. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, just to get your loved one's body Buried. I mean, I don't know what religion the the Smiths and the Lawsons are, but you know, in different religions, you have a different way of mourning and burying your loved one, and to not even be able to do that to give them right. the proper send off um, is devastating. Yeah. So our our hearts and our thoughts go out to the Smith family, the Lawson family, and those of you listening out there, if you can help them out, give a tip or something, to the Walker County Sheriff's Department. And thank you uh, to our listener who gave us this um, suggestion. Do we know who that is? The uh, email w- was from Steve. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just said Steve. Steve. So thank you, Steve, Thanks, for Steve. this. And we'll, I'll keep you know, following this. And if we, we have updates, as Scott said, we'll, we'll start bringing those to light um, yeah. in different episodes. Anytime we can. I think we have a few shout-outs this oh, week. Yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Okay, Scott, did you Uh-oh. Did Don't you ask send me. me? Did you send me? I think um, I sent you something, but I sent it to you so I wouldn't have to remember what it is. Okay, so I'm going to so, just going to check. Now you're do on the hook. Any, <laughs> do we have any? Okay, while we look for that, I do have one from Travis Shorty West. Shorty. Thank you, Shorty, a.k.a. Dancing Trav. Thank you so much <laughs> for your wonderful review that we have on Apple Podcasts. I love it. We are riding with you. And we're going to ride with you as long as you let us. All right. Well, it, and if you listen to this between midnight on Tuesday and Wednesday at 730, uh, here's your reminder to come and see us live at Easy Street, uh, <laughs> Wednesday, August the 4th at 730. We don't know what we're going to talk about yet. We're going to have a surprise conversation. August the 3rd. Is it August the 3rd? It's, it's the 4th. It's the 4th. Uh, JK, I'm looking at the calendar the, wrong. It or, is the 4th. It is the 4th. The, the date on the front page of this week's Herald is going to be wrong nope, because I put the 4th on there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read a calendar. Uh, did we Did we have another shout out that yes. we missed? Okay. Uh, no, sorry. Cassie Walker, uh, my sorority sister from college, she shouted us out on her Instagram story. Thank you, the Cassie. Other day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and uh, continue to email us at truecrimeoneasystreet at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And we had a series of discombobulated messages via a text between the three of us yesterday. There was some discussion about finally getting some merch on the shelves. We have to get shelves first and then we'll get merch. But we're merch. working on a t-shirt. Ladies design. and gentlemen, merch is in the works. It is indeed. How exciting. Is that it? Are we done? I- I'm done. Are you done, Scott? Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> One day you